Well, amen. Thank you, John. Thank you for team, your team here. They do a great job leading in worship, don't they? I know y'all are blessed. I know you have multiple teams, and it's just great to have so much talent and ability, and they use it for the Lord, and they use it to bless you week to week. It is great to be here. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, what an honor and a privilege uh, Chris has given me to come in and step in for him, fill in for him today. And I don't know, I think I know where he is. I think Ginger told me where he is right now, where all he's been. But I know he's enjoyed that sabbatical. I know uh, y'all have blessed him with that sabbatical. I asked Ginger, I said, why are you here? And she said, well, I didn't go with him on that sabbatical. And I kind of thought, well, when Chris gets back, she needs a sabbatical. <laughs> and maybe, maybe that ought to be the next step, you know. But she enjoys, uh, of course, with the kids and taking care of them and being in church. So it's good to see Ginger this morning. And, and I, again, I was just totally surprised. But uh, blessed that she's here. Blessed Caroline's here. Um, yes, uh, I was Chris's pastor when he was in junior high. <laughs> and I survived. <laughs> you know, uh, Chris was always uh, moving, acting, doing, involved. He, he was uh, always inquisitive. He was always full of energy. He still is, I think. Uh, just, uh, it was interesting to watch him. He, he always had some questions, and you thought, when he comes up with another question to talk to you about, you, you look for a place where you can go because you know you're not going to be able to answer that question, whatever it was. And, uh, but uh, he was a leader from the time he was young. He really was. He uh, actually was the key to his family coming to our church. His dad uh, was a professor at Stephen F. Austin. His mom was a therapist. And he had a younger sister, still does, not had. And, uh, but anyway, he brought his whole family to church when he was just a young guy. And they stayed throughout all of those years and we just enjoyed them and, and enjoyed being their pastor. And uh, uh, also Lance Sturrock. Uh, Lance was in school during that time as well, knew the Sturrock family very, very well. I said this morning, Lance's dad was one of my best friends in my lifetime. Uh, just a great friend, great man. And uh, we enjoyed him so much. Uh, if you were to ask me, though, would you have expected Chris would become a pastor or Lance would become an associate pastor? I'd have to say, no, not on your life. <laughs> I would have never guessed that. And I would have started praying for any church where they were <laughs> if that happened, you know. Uh, Chris, um, I, I, I would have seen him as a college professor like his dad, or maybe a college president, and I said this morning, maybe a criminal. Because uh, you never knew what he was going to get into or what he was going to do. And he took a lot of risks and enjoyed every bit of them, you know. Uh, but I'd have never seen him as a pastor, never seen Lance as a pastor. I, I, I said this morning, Lance would have been a sheriff to me or a military leader or, or, or something like that, but never a pastor. And if I could say anything, both of those guys really needed a pastor <laughs> coming along. I don't know how I made it, but I made it anyway. But uh, uh, we love those guys, love their families, and uh, just are so grateful for all God has done with them, have watched from afar, 
and just excited about that, you know, just thrilled with uh, what God's doing and how he's using them in this church and how y'all love them and, and they love you as well. So anyway, if you want to hear stories uh, about Chris later on or Lance, um, I don't know, but that I might ought to charge you for those. <laughs> I don't know. We'll think about that. Y'all will probably need to go to lunch before we can do that, okay? And that'd probably be better. I want to introduce somebody to you right quick. My wife is with me, Belinda. And Belinda, won't you stand up if you don't mind? Uh, she's here today, and we're glad she's here. Sweet. Belinda and I have been married 46 years. I remembered. I'm doing good. And we have three grown sons, all married, two in the Houston area, one in the Dallas area, and we have eight grandchildren. And so we are blessed. We love our family and uh, just thank the Lord for what he's done uh, for each one of us. And I know that if you're enjoying the Lord's blessings in your home, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's special, isn't it? It really is. Okay. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to me with me to Psalm 23, or if you're using a phone or whatever, just look with me at this passage of Scripture this morning. I know you know it. I know you probably have it memorized in, in some ways, but I want to share it with you in a different way than maybe you've heard before. There are different thoughts that come to my mind when I read Psalm 23. Uh, it's called the Shepherd's Psalm. A lot of times people teach or preach it from a shepherd's perspective. And all of that is in this psalm, but uh, I want to share it with you from this perspective, God's word for your life. And I want to give you three thoughts from this that apply to every one of our lives, and I hope it'll be encouragement to you and a blessing to you. Psalm 23, here it is again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still of the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. What a great statement that is. I'll refer to that in just a minute. Yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, uh, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup runs over Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, you may realize as David writes this, he's basically sharing his personal testimony, his personal story. Uh, a lot of commentators say that David was an old man when he wrote these words, that he'd uh, traveled a lot of miles, he'd had a lot of experience, he'd lived a lot of years. And so this is kind of a looking back, kind of a testimony of his experience, his relationship with the Lord, how God had led, what God had done in his life. Maybe that's true. We're not sure. But if it is, you can sure hear the personal testimony coming out in, in these words. Now, the three thoughts I want to share with you are these. First of all, uh, and you may want to write these down if you've got the note outline that I've provided for you. Um, Stands out to me. Maybe you don't see it, but I want to talk to you about it for just a minute. First thought is this. Life begins and ends with God, and the chief end in life is to know Him. Life begins and ends with God, and the chief end in life is to know Him. You might say, Kent, where do you get that out of Psalm 23? And I understand the question, but let me just say this. Notice, first of all, Psalm 23 is just full of testimony about the Lord. 
The Lord is all over this passage. He's all in this passage. He's in every verse of this passage. But notice this also, and this is very simple, but it stands out to me. The psalmist begins with the Lord in verse 1, and he ends with the Lord in verse 6. And I just take that as a picture of life. If he's talking about life, as he's talking about his testimony, his experience through life, David is in essence, first of all, saying it really begins with the Lord and it really ends with the Lord. Does that uh, sink in as far as your thinking is concerned? Do you get a hold of that? Do you live with that perspective? Has that ever really been something that has really uh, dawned on you and, and you've grasped it, maybe through some situation you've gone through in life, maybe some loss that you've experienced or some difficult valley that you've walked through, but you, you kind of look at life and you try to evaluate life, try to think about life. And, and if I could say anything about life, I would say it begins, it ends with the Lord, and the chief end in life is to get to know Him. Several passages over in Genesis speak about the beginning of life. You know these verses of Scripture. Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning. So just think about that word, the beginning of life. In the beginning, God was there. God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says in chapter 2, verse 7, this is where man comes in. It says, he formed man of the dust of the ground. He breathed into him the breath of life. And man became a living soul. So it began it, at the beginning with God himself. Now, what about the end of life? Well, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7 that tells us about that. And here's what it says. Then shall the dust return to the ground one day. That's where it's all headed. That's where everybody's headed. The dust shall return to the ground, but the spirit of a man shall return where? To God who gave it. So the beginning of life overall, the big picture that you and I fit into is life begins with God and life is going to end with God. Uh, we need to understand that. We need to live by that perspective. Somebody once said, we came from God, we're going back to God. Somebody said, he's the author and the finisher of life. He's the beginning and end of life. He's the creator. He's the closer of life. God is the first word about life, and he's also the final word about life. So God is the big picture here in Psalm 23. And he's the beginning of life, and he's the end of life. And then what's so significant is the challenge we have to get to know God during this lifetime. The challenge that you have is not how much money you can make. It's not prestige. It's not reputation. It's not uh, recognition. All of those things are important. All of those things are good. All of those things can mean a lot to us. But the chief end in life is to get to know God during your lifetime, to get to know Him. You say, okay, where's that in Psalm 23? Well, did you notice the very first verse? Did that sink in on you or did it just kind of... Uh, go over your head like uh, something you've heard before. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is a shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is the shepherd. That's all true. But he says, the Lord is my shepherd. David gives the testimony of that personal relationship with God, intimate relationship with God. He, he lets us know in a personal way that he knows God as his shepherd. Folks, what is a shepherd? A shepherd is a leader. If you were to see the shepherds in Israel, you'd realize that very quickly. 
A shepherd is a leader, so if he's your shepherd, if he's David's shepherd, the question is, are you following him? Do you have that relationship? Uh, the shepherd is an owner sometimes, not always in Israel, but sometimes. And if he is an owner, then are you yielding to his ownership of your life? Or are you allowing him to exercise ownership in your life? The shepherd is an overseer. And as an overseer, you ask yourself the question, if he's overseeing my life, am I obeying him? David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I know him as my shepherd. In essence, he's saying he's my overseer. He's my leader and he's the owner of my life. So there is a personal relationship here as he talks about the Lord as his shepherd. And it shouldn't surprise us really that he does that or that that stands out because the Bible is full of scriptures that talk about how important it is to know God. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, don't turn there right now, but Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 through 10 is Paul's testimony. And what's his testimony? He says, everything that once was gained to me in the religious world, in the academic world, in the monetary world, everything that was gained to me one time, I have now counted loss for the excellency of the knowledge, knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And the word knowledge in the Greek New Testament in that verse is not the word knowledge for information's sake or for facts and, and learning something. It is the word for experience. It's a word for relationship. And so Paul says, here's my testimony, like David in Psalm 23. And my testimony is I would trade anything and everything for knowing, having a personal relationship, having the experience of getting to know God. Getting to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Getting to know Jesus Christ and the Lord as my shepherd. So you hear that word of relationship in Philippians 3 and getting to, to know the Lord. There's another great passage. You, you may have heard it before. It's it one that should stand out to us. To us. It's in Gen, Gen, excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 9. And it's in verse 23 and 24. And here's what Jeremiah had to say or the Lord said through Jeremiah. Uh, he says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let not the mighty or the strong man glory in his might or his strength. And, and we, we uh, champion all of those things. We understand that. But what, do you, what, what should a man really glory in? And God says this, let a man, if he's going to boast, let him boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That's what God says. So is it a big deal to know the Lord? Is it a big deal to grow in your relationship with the Lord? Is it a primary purpose in life to, to make that a priority that you're going to seek to know the Lord? Absolutely. Absolutely. So point number one that I get from Psalm 23 or one thought that I would share is life begins and ends with God, just like this psalm. And the chief end in life is for us to get to know the Lord amongst all those other things, just like David knew him as he said, he's my shepherd. He's my shepherd. Second thought I want to share with you this morning is uh, in verse 4 and verse 5 of this psalm. And it's simply this, trials are a part of life, every life. Trials are. You know that. You, you hear that. You realize that. You've lived life. You know this. Trials are part of every life, but you don't have to fear them and you don't have to face them alone. 
Now that means something to somebody going through a trial. If everything seems to be going well in your life right now, if everything seems to be good in your life, if all things are coming together in your life, it may not mean as much to you. But can I simply say, hold on, it's going to change. Hold on, it will change. If you live enough life, you will face plenty of trials and they'll be life-threatening, they'll be life-shaking types of trials. All of us understand that. And so maybe there's somebody here this morning that needs this word reminded to them again or given to them again that they're going to be a part of every life. They're going to be a part of every life, but you don't have to fear them. You don't have to face them alone. Do you see that in verse 4? David says, Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Isn't that the worst trial of all? Even though, that's the reason he uses those words, even though I walk through that, in that place, I will fear no evil, no kind of evil, no type of evil. Why? Because you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He could literally sense and feel and experience the presence of God. And, and experiencing and knowing the presence of God enabled him to deal with any possible fear, to deal with any kind of situation that would come up, and to not be afraid of that because God was with him. Now, I said this this morning in the first service, I'll say it again. A lot of times we sing that, we say that, we pray that, but we don't experience that. Do you really walk with God enough? Are you seeking to walk with God enough? Are you learning how to walk with God enough to where you can really experience the presence of God? You can feel and know the presence of God. It's that presence that will make a difference when you're in those fearful type situations. Uh, let me illustrate it like this if I can. I told you already we have three sons. When we were uh, in Nacogdoches, we were there for, I think, about 16 years, uh, pastoring the church for about 10, and I was in full-time evangelism for a number of years. And uh, then we, uh, we left and we moved to Angleton, down south of Houston, down on the Gulf Coast, to pastor a church down there. Well, when we moved, I, I'm not sure exactly, but I think our youngest son was about in the third grade, something like that, or fourth grade, something like that. And uh, we were totally unprepared for what we were going to experience. And I don't know if you've ever experienced something like this, but this was new for us. We got down there, and as the youngest one, Aaron, started to school, he became just deathly afraid. I mean, just fear overtook him. Um, Belinda would take him to school and she could not hardly get him out of the van because he'd be just anchored on the seats or hanging on to something in there. And at times it was almost impossible to get him out of the van to get him into a classroom. And it was embarrassing, it was awkward, everything. And this happened morning after morning after morning. It was just like a war. Well, I called a psychologist friend of mine who was in Nacogdoches at the time, and I said, have you ever heard of something like this, and what do you do? And he said, uh, yes. He said, what your son has is what we call school phobia. Now, I know, I know, some of y'all got school phobia already, right? And there's nothing wrong with you. You just got it, okay? But uh, he said, school phobia. I, I, I was kind of blown away. He said, it's real, Ken. It's legitimate. That's what he's got. Now, he will grow out of that, but in the meantime, what you need to do is probably one of you needs to go to school with him some. And I said, really? And he said, that's the best prescription I can give to you. 
And so I decided I would be the one we decided that would take place. Belinda had other things going on, so I would take my youngest son to school. We arranged all this with the teacher beforehand, of course, and I would walk into school with him, and I would sit in the back of the classroom in one of those little bitty type desks, and he would sit about five desks in front of me, and during class in the first period, he'd be turning around looking to make sure I was there. And he'd turn around and look and see if I was there. I did that for about two weeks. Uh, I wondered if I was going to have to do that for the whole semester. Uh, I thought I was through with school, <laughs> you know. But I did that for about two weeks. I, I would go in with him. I'd sit on that back row. And I would work on some things while he was in class. And, and without fail, at the end of every one of those class periods, uh, he would come back to where I was and he'd say, Dad, I'm okay, I got it now. And he'd go on with the rest of his school day and I could leave and go to the church office and go to work. Well, um, that was an unusual time. I'm glad it only happened once, you know, but uh, we worked through it and he became fine and he had no other problems. The psychologist was right. I, he, he told me exactly what I needed to do, we needed to do, and it was the right thing and he made it fine. Why was it different for him? Why did it make a difference? It made a difference because he could sense and see and feel my presence with him, one of his parents. And everything he was fearful about, just having one of his parents present helped him overcome the fear that he developed somewhere in the move or the change or whatever we'd been going through. Now. As I thought about that, I thought, you know, I think God wants us to feel and know His presence like that. And I'm not trying to oversimplify this, this thing and, and fears and struggles that people have, but I'm trying to say that David could give the testimony, God, you're with me. I've seen you with me. I felt you with me. You've been with me. And so I don't even have to fear have fear of evil when I walk into the most difficult valley of all in life because you're with me. Your presence is there. God wants us to know his presence and in knowing his presence as we walk with him, as we live life seeking to follow him and seeking to serve him and seeking to know him, it will help us overcome the greatest fears that we face in life. John Bassanio, who was a pastor at First Baptist Houston, once said it like this. He said, every Christian is always in trouble. They're never alone and they're forever at peace. <clears throat> now, do y'all believe that? Think about that. Christians are always in trouble, never alone, forever at peace. Well, Christians a lot of times are in trouble, sometimes because of their faith, sometimes because of their testimony. We understand that. But Christians are always going to be in trouble because, folks, let me say this to you. I don't know what anybody else may be saying and what you might be listening to or what maybe you've heard, but I want to say this to you. Christians are always in trouble because Christians are not exempt from all the trouble that exists in life. And being a Christian and knowing the shepherd is not going to exempt you from the battlefield and the struggles of life. Those things are going to be there naturally. So what John Bassanio said is true. Christians are always in trouble because you're in life and life is full of trouble. And as long as you're here, you're going to experience that. 
So don't ever think you're not. It's, it's always going to be there. We're always going to experience that. Christians are forever in trouble. But then he went on and he said, Christians are never alone. Never alone. Think about that. Um, when there's a difference and a distinction that I want to make. There is a loneliness of life and there's a loneliness in life. Every one of us, no matter if we have Jesus, the Lord, as our shepherd and, and we have a relationship with him, we're going to experience some times of loneliness in life. Those, those situations are going to come. You're going to feel that loneliness in life. You may be even serving God when you feel that. Uh, years ago, I went on a mission trip, evangelism trip to the country of India. And we were there for about 17 days with a team of four or five of us and and we were ministering in the cities and villages over there while we were there. And then it got time to come home and we were tired and we were ready to come home. We got into the airport and I was the last guy lining up for uh, going through customs and everything to, to get on the plane and, and to be able to come home. And all the guys were just sailing through and everything was doing well, but all of a sudden they pulled me out of the line. And uh, they took me into a room and I'm sitting in this room with a bare table, two chairs, one over here opposite me, and I was sitting in one chair, and in that chair was a big armed guard, and there was only one light hanging down. And I'd been in India for 17 days. Boy, I want to go home. I was ready to go home. I was tired. And everything was good and everything got blessed, but I was ready to go home and I was wondering what in the world am I doing in this room? And what's this guy going to do or what, what are they doing right now? I found out later on our team was trying to ask questions and find out what had happened to me and uh, when would I be released and all of those things. And they, boy, the guards got in their face and said, you get on that plane, you leave, you, you get out of here while you can. And so they were nervous and apprehensive about whether I was going to join them too. And uh, I was the littlest guy on the team. I thought, why didn't you get one of them big ones? <laughs> you know, and, and keep him for a while. But no, I was the one. So I found out what they were doing. And you, you, you can imagine what this was. They were going through my luggage to see if there was any contraband in my luggage. And if anybody had planted it in my luggage, I would have stayed in India for a while before I could have got out. Now, think about that. Belinda and our boys are home. I've been gone 17 days. I'm ready to go home. And you talk about experiencing loneliness in life. I experienced it. I felt so lonely in that room, sitting there with this guy that I could not communicate with, not knowing how long it was going to be or when, we might, when I might be released. There was loneliness there. I, thought, I started praying. I started saying, Lord, are you going to call me to be a missionary over here? Uh, Lord... <laughs> I'd sure like to have a say-so in that. Um, you know, I'd like to negotiate or something. Um, but that's, those thoughts were going through my mind. I was there for probably 30 to 45 minutes before they released me. And they let me get on the plane. I was the last one to board the plane, and then we headed home. That's an experience of when even you're serving God, when you're trying to do His will and work, that you will experience times of loneliness in life. But folks, have you realized, I don't know if you ever thought of it like this, when Jesus comes into your life, what I'm calling the loneliness of life, the natural loneliness of life that exists in all of us, 
from the day we're born until we go through all the different things in life, that loneliness is what is taken away from us when Jesus comes into our hearts and lives. You have a purpose, you have a direction, you have meaning, you have a fellowship, you have a worship. Um, it's just amazing, but if, if, if you don't know the Lord as your shepherd, you are going to live with the loneliness of life as well as loneliness in life. Both of those will be true. So as John Bassanio said, hey, Christians are always in trouble, but Christians are never alone. Let me give you a verse right quick. It's one of my favorite, Hebrews 13, 5. It says, let your manner of life be without covetousness. Now notice this. And be content with such things as you have. Be content with such things as you have. What do you have? Listen, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You have the Lord. He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Be content with such things as you have. Not materialistic things, not additional things, but be content with such things as you have. And if you've got the Lord, you've got more than you can ever even imagine. You've got the Lord. Be content with the Lord is what is said in that particular verse of Scripture. So you're never alone. Last thing John Bassanio said, well, we're, we're forever at peace. Can I ask you a question? Are you forever at peace? Probably not. Probably not. Um, Forever at peace. When John Bassanio was talking about forever at peace, he was talking about positional peace. He was talking about forever peace. You have a forever peace that's based on the promises of God, based in the person of God, based in the power of God, not in your circumstances. But there are going to be times you're going to be so shaken in life that that peace is going to be disturbed. Now, how do, you, how do you gather that peace if it's disturbed, if you're in situations like that and you're just struggling because you just don't have that peace? It's like it's evaporated or like it's deserted you in some way. Well, it's real simple what, what Scripture says, and you know this. In John chapter 14, you don't have to go and look at that, but John 14, first three verses, the disciples were troubled in heart. They were shaken. Their peace was absent because they saw Jesus about to be apprehended. They knew of the threats of his crucifixion. It was one of the worst times they could have ever known or experienced a dark day in their life. And so Jesus had to speak into their hearts, not to their ears, but into their hearts. And he said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he talks about his father's house and the promise that that uh, what he was telling them was the truth and that he would come and get them. What did he offer them at that time to help them have that peace in such a dark day? He offered them his words, his words. That's what was going to restore that peace for them. So that's true for us. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says prayer is a key. So when you're feeling like your peace has been shaken and disturbed, you can spend time in prayer. And it's not just saying prayers. It's not just saying words of prayer. It's talking about earnest praying where you really get before the Lord and you experience the Lord and His presence in a deep way in prayer. And you'll be amazed at how that peace that Philippians 4, 6, and 7 talks about will come into your heart and will guard your heart in a way that's unimaginable. Surpasses understanding is what the Scripture says.
And the last source I would give you for peace is, of course, the Holy Spirit. If we're walking in the Lord, if we're experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit, what does it say in Galatians 5, 22 and 23? It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Peace. So what I'm saying to you, based on what John Bassanio was saying, you're, you're forever at peace positionally in Christ, but when that peace is shattered or that peace is shaken, God has given us directions and He's given us instruction on how to walk towards that peace, experience that peace, and know that peace as you go through difficult situations in life. So I can understand why he said that all of that makes sense to me. So what's point number two, lesson number two, trials come in every life, but you don't have to fear them. You don't have to face them alone. Last thing I want to share with you is this, and this is an important one. This is important. Sometimes we just don't get this. It takes a while, but try to, try to, try to grasp what I'm fixing to say to you. God is to be your source and supply in life. God is to be your source and supply. Now, now listen, I'm saying two different things. When I say source and I say supply, I'm not being redundant here. There's two different things I'm saying to you. God is your source in life. Source of what? Source of significance. Source of self-worth. Source of identity. God is to be your source. The way you look, the way you dress is not to be your source. How much money you make is not to be your source. What your occupation is, is not to be your source. You may be known by your occupation, but it is not to be your source of worth and significance and identity in your life. I mean, if, if that's the case, then you're going to have to look for something that makes you stand out in some special way and gives you some kind of worth and significance that nobody else has, I guess. You see, God is to be the source of those things in our lives. And sometimes it takes a while to, to learn that. Um, when David said, I'm going back to verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, what he was saying is I find my source not in being the king of Israel, not in all the battles that I've won and all the experiences of God's power being released in battle. And that's not my source. My source is in my relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. It's relational oriented. It's not what you can do. It's not what you think you can do or what you have done. If you're resting or relying upon those things, they'll eventually be gone. They'll all disappear one of these days. You won't be able to do certain things. You won't have the ability to do certain things that you think you can do or you have done. All of that will be gone. You've got to have a different source for worth, purpose, meaning identity. It's in a relationship. It's in a relationship. I'm his. He's mine. David knew whose he was and he knew who was his. A relationship is the source of life. So God is to be your source. God is to be your source. But he's also to be your supply. Does God care about your needs? Of course he does. Does God care about your wants? Of course he does. God is to be the source of our needs. He is to be, excuse me, he's got to be the source of our worth and self-acceptance. He's got to be the supply for the needs in our lives. Now, real interesting, and I'm almost through, so stay with me. Real interesting, um, 
Dr. Tony Evans uh, talks about sheep from this passages and passages in the New Testament. And he says, you know, of course, we're a lot like sheep. And he says, then sheep are three things. Sheep are dumb and sheep are dirty and sheep are defenseless. And I can understand that. I can apply that spiritually without offending you, I think. Okay? If, if I had time to dig into that and show you that. But he says, we're just like sheep. And because we're like sheep, we look in all the wrong places and all the wrong things as far as our supply is concerned. And this psalm illustrates where David was looking. He was looking to the Lord. Can I show this to you? Maybe you've seen this before, but I hope it'll be a blessing to you. Look at these things. They're on the back of your notes. Here's how God supplied as shepherd for David. Here, here's what he, what he says. Verse 2. God makes me to lie down in green pastures. Folks, that's the perfect rest that you need in your life. God leads me beside the still or quiet waters. That's the perfect refreshment that you need in your life. Verse 3, God restores my soul. The word restore means to bring back my soul. Sometimes we need it brought back. We need it restored. That's the perfect restoration that you need that comes from God. Verse 3, he says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. I love this phrase. I love this statement. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. What he's saying is He leads you in the paths for His name's sake, in essence, for His glory, which is the best way to live your life. So he says God does that. What is that? God is giving you perfect guidance for your life. Verse 4, it says, His rod and staff comfort me. That's the perfect protection that you need in your life. Verse 5, He prepares a table before you even in the presence of enemies. That's the perfect provisions that you need. He anoints my head with oil. That's His anointing touch upon your life. That's the perfect consecration that you need in your life. He says, My cup runs over. My cup overflows. Folks, David is speaking about his joy. That's the perfect joy that you need in life. And then notice verse 6, the last verse. He said, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Will goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life? Hmm. They follow you if you follow him. They follow you if you follow the shepherd. Goodness and mercy, that's not talking about perfection. That's not talking about no problems, no pain. But what that's talking about is the goodness and mercy you need from God no matter what comes into your life. And folks, can I say it as strongly as I know how? Everybody here needs the goodness and mercy of God. You need that in your life. You need that through the various experiences and situations in your life. And so that is God's perfect care in your life. And then the last thing he mentions in verse 6 is, is dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't this a good one? That's the perfect destiny that God gives you in your life. So do you see all those things that David's talking about? He says, God is my source, but God's also my supply for all of these things that really matter in my life. And if I could sum it up, what he's saying at this, at this point, let me express it like this. David was saying... If I can tell you anything, if I can talk about anything, let me talk about my God. Let me talk about my Lord. 
I want you to hear what I've got to say about him. I want you to hear what I can testify of what he's done in my life, who he is in my life, how he's worked in my life. Let me talk about the Lord to you. That's what he's saying in Psalm 23. It's that powerful, it's that strong, it's that personal. The Lord is my shepherd. You may know the words, but do you really know the shepherd? Do you really know the shepherd? Is he, is he real in your life? Are you growing with him? Um, I think I've already said, but sometimes people think that David was an old man when he wrote this. What a testimony if he was. What a testimony. Let me talk to you about my God. Let me talk to you about my Lord. How special is that? This is who He is. So folks, can I say these things to you out of Psalm 23? Life begins and ends with God. The chief end in life is to know Him. Second, every person's going to experience trials in your life, but you don't have to face them or fear them because you've got somebody with you in reality. In reality, okay? And then last of all, God is to be your source in life, and He is to be your supply. Years ago, there was an elderly lady, and let me just close with this. I don't really know her name, but I know who her son was. Her son was one of the leading Bible theologians and Bible commentators in America during his day. But when the elderly lady passed away, the son went into her bedroom to just check things out, see what was going on. And he noticed her Bible was open and laying on a nightstand next to her bed. And as he looked at it, he picked it up. It was open to Psalm 23. And she'd written some words in there. And these were the last words she'd written in her life before she passed away. Here, here it was, very simple. She wrote three things down about Psalm 23. This is the secret to a happy life. This is a secret to a happy death. This is the secret to a happy eternity. What great words. What great words. Let's bow and let's pray together, okay? <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us today. Thank you, Lord, for letting me be here to share with your people that are part of South Spring Church. Thank you for Chris's ministry. Thank you for Lance and Paul and John and all of these that serve here. Uh, Lord, continue to bless and use them, direct them. But then, Lord, we pray uh, this morning that if there's somebody that just needed to draw close to you today, if there's somebody here who just needed to be reassured by your Holy Spirit again today, I pray they've received that. I pray that they've experienced that. Father, I pray that if there's some here who know that you are a shepherd and the shepherd, but they don't know you as their personal shepherd, that today they would really move in the direction of faith towards you. To where they could say, I not only read about David and what his testimony was, but it's my testimony too. The Lord is my shepherd. And may they experience more of what that means in their life in days to come. God, move in our hearts today. Touch our lives today. And Father, just have your will. Have your way in each one of us. Make us, if we're believers, to be more of the believers you want us to be. Father, may we be strong in the faith. May we trust you and trust in your word. And Father, I just give you thanks and give you praise. In Jesus' name.